Good morning. My name is my name is Andrew, as he inter- introduced me as, and I'm thankful that he did. Um, Ryan and I go we go way back. We go back to playing little league baseball together. Um, we we've been in each other's life for a long, long, long time, and uh, it's he is, if not the one of the best friends in my life, um, an unbelievable partner in ministry, uh, someone that that I regularly vent to, pray with am encouraged by, seek to encourage. And I want to even thank you, like, thank you for sharing your pastor even with me. Um, there's probably time that he takes out of, of being with, with you guys and even, you know, being connected to you all to, to check in on me and to, to keep in touch with me. And, and so I want to thank you guys for even sharing uh, he and Megan and, and with, with me as some of my best friends. And so it's really an honor uh, to be here today. As he said, I live in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, we're planning a church called Commonwealth City Church. And it's, it is, it is hard. I don't, I didn't send my group a video from the beach like Ryan did, but, um, it is hard to be away from, from your family on those kind of, of weekends and those kind of endeavors. And, um, I'll, I'll get into a moment while I'm actually here this weekend. It's not just to fill in for him. I was in Atlanta for, for multiple reasons. And so this, this was a great way to kind of end the week, but, uh, we're planning a church. We're about, we've, we're about two to two and a half years old in concept. Uh, in terms of starting in a, as a home group, we started actually meeting in my brother-in-law and sister's house um, back in the fall of 2000, really the fall of 2013 is when we first got together. And we've been, though, very cemented in a geographical area in Lexington for about a, a little over a year and a half. We started in Easter of 2015 at this location. It's called Irish Town. Um, it's not at all Irish. But it was, you know, it was like in the 1800s. They, it was, it's a little community, kind of a little neighborhood that existed working on the rails, working on railroads in Lexington. I don't know if you know much about Lexington. We, I am a Kentucky Wildcat, a proud Kentucky Wildcat down here in dog country. I get that. Um, but I bleed blue all the way through. And Lexington is a city of about 500,000 people. Um, it's kind of the cultural city in the state of Kentucky. It's really driven by the university presence that's there in Lexington. And it has a ton of diversity uh, just among people and, and socioeconomic and race and ethnicity and all sorts of stuff. And very, very, very similar probably to, to here, even maybe to a more inner city Atlanta feel. And so our church is planted in a very kind of neglected uh, neighborhood in an inner city part of Lexington. Uh, we're really, I mean, we are the buckle of the Bible belt in Lexington, Kentucky. Atlanta, we're probably, we probably rival that, you know, both being, both being very uh, churched areas but there's almost no church impact or even ministry impact in the neighborhood that we're in. And so we're doing a lot of just incarnational, relational ministry. Um, the way that you can be praying for us is that we're approaching needing a new place to worship on Sundays. We are running out of space, which is a great problem to have. Um, for me, it's an anxious problem to have because I'm both excited to get to the next thing and I'm like, how are we going to pay for it? You know, like this is great. Um, and so you, you all understand that. Thank you all for being the partner that you are with us. You you resource us in, in some of your financial giving. I don't know if, if you caught that, what Brandon said. I'm sure you guys have talked about that before. I might have even been on a video at some point here. I don't even know. Um, but there are tons of ways that you all have resourced us. And so thank you for believing in us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for uh, being a part of the work that we're doing in Lexington. And uh, it's an honor and a joy uh, to, to be partnered with you, to be partnered with Ryan. Um, and to just be part of, of a larger, greater kingdom family. And so thank you guys for that so much. Speaking of family, I want to uh, introduce my parents who are actually here today. They're sitting uh, right back here. Oh, just go ahead and 
little wave, my father and mother. Um, I, I am blessed to be here with them this week. Uh, my dad is a pastor, I, so don't hold this against me. I'm a third-generation Southern Baptist preacher. Um, my, my father is a pastor, a church planner. He's actually, they're the sponsor church for our work in Lexington. Um, they're actually the church that Ryan and I first served together in. Uh, we served in student ministry together at Hope Community Church in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And it was at Hope when we met in a middle school, go figure, we met in a middle school that I actually got to send a prayer of commissioning for Ryan to move to Las Vegas. Um, prayed over him. I'll never forget that day. We, we prayed over him at the end of one of our Sunday services. Ryan moves to Las Vegas, meets Megan, um, you know, has basically had a, a kid every, you know, nine months since then. And now they're here in Atlanta planning this church with you all, joining you all in planning this church. Um, but, but we are both products of kind of a coaching tree here in, in the fact that, that I'm proud of the coach, but I'm extra proud that it's my dad. Uh, and so we're, we're both the products of that. So anything that you don't like about what I say today or you don't like about Ryan, it's his fault. So you can just talk to him afterwards. I, I kid, I kid on that. He's here today, not because we just took a family trip, but because I've been the best man in two weddings now. Ryan's and a friend of mine that I went to college with named Jay, and he lived here, well, he lived here in Atlanta, met his fiance here in Atlanta, um, and then he ended up moving to Seattle. They actually will both obviously be moving to Seattle, uh, but he was back in Atlanta for their wedding, which was yesterday, and so I've been here since Tuesday, um, embracing the heat, embracing back sweat as I get into a car, you know, I mean, you guys just, you understand, I've uh, been, been here all week. It was great to see them off and to see them through their, the celebration of, of their marriage yesterday. And it was an honor for me because I got to be the best man in a wedding my father officiated, which is why he was here. He baptized, saw Jay baptized uh, and saved uh, when, he, when he was just a young child. And then, as he said yesterday, uh, he got to be a part of the two most important days of Jay's life, the day of his salvation and the day of his wedding. And so it was kind of a special moment for us. And so they jumped in today and, and decided they would come and, and worship with us together. And so that's just a real quick little introduction. Um, thank you for having me. And now I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive right in if that's cool. Uh, so let's, let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. I just want to thank you for um, just the life here uh, of this church. God, I just want to thank you for the way that you have called and commissioned uh, all those that make up New City. And I just want to thank you for, for the acts of obedience that lie in front of them and the opportunities that lie in front of them and the, the places of ministry and the places of service that lie in front of them that we haven't even walked into yet. We haven't even realized yet. We haven't even found ourselves obedient. And yet I'm grateful that your Holy Spirit is called, commissioned, and goes before us in those things. Father, I pray today that, that as we investigate your word and that you lead us to be gospel people, um, that you lead us to be servant-minded, that you lead us to understand the, the ordering of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life to call, commission, and, and move us to the places that you, you'd have us to be. Lord, I'm grateful for Ryan and Megan, uh, their leadership first and foremost in their, in their family, uh, to, to be a disciple-makers of even their kids. Uh, Ryan even has the testimony of being a disciple-maker of his own mother, and I love that about him. Every time I've seen Ryan Johnson, I've seen him be bringing someone to you, God, and I want to celebrate the work of your Holy Spirit through him uh, to lead, to serve, and to encourage those in the faith. I want to thank you for his brotherhood. I want to thank you for his leadership and service as a pastor. Um, I want to thank you for, for, for the leadership of, of Brandon and Amanda today as they have led us in worship this morning. Uh, God, we're just so grateful to be here. In your holy and precious name, we ask these things. Amen. 
We've done enough intro, uh, and I'm kind of somebody that just wants to dive right into it. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to read this together um, and, and kind of walk through it a little bit. I will warn you that I have a tendency to jump around some, and so I'm going to try, try to stay, stay with it here uh, this morning. And we're going to, he's given me a really great passage. Maybe it's because I'm Southern Baptist. He wanted me to talk about the passages about deacons. I don't really know if that's it or not. You know, I grew up in a, in a church where deacons, um, a lot of times were the ones that made decisions. I don't know if that's any, anybody's had that background before, you know, you'd have a a chairman of of deacons or you'd have a deacon body that ended up being a very governing body in the church. And, and actually what we would really see if we investigate scriptures, that's not the polity of the church that, that would be what the Holy Spirit would lay forth in God's word. Um, I'm not really sure how that happened. I mean, I, I'm, I was just talking to someone yesterday, the photographer for the wedding, and he was asking me, he's like, your dad's a preacher and you're also a church planner. Like, how did you not get jaded to church life? He's like, so many people that I know whose parents were in ministry have this, you know, this, this, this kind of real critique of the church and this real um, just, just jaded view of what it looks like to be a part of the church. And I said, well, really... It's a credit to my father's leadership and even my family because my dad was also a pastor's kid. And he got to, he, he lived in, in not as great of a scenario as he led our family to live in. I mean, he tells stories of having, there will be deacons meetings um, centered around the very concept of hanging a poster on his wall because he lived in a parsonage. Now, could you imagine that? Could you imagine if your kids wanted to put a poster on their wall? But you had to call a meeting at the church to let the people decide if that was good or not, or might rip the paint off, might put a little hole in there. You know, and, and if you think of it in, in that capacity, like if they're going to be that about posters, what are they not going to be that about? And I told Matt, the photographer yesterday, I said, but because my dad endured that, he did not lead my mother or my, myself or my sister in the same way. Um, he, he, in a lot of ways, hedged us from that and showed us a view of the church and a view of the kingdom. That was maybe far different than, than what he had experienced. And so I'm grateful to him for that. He didn't even know that, that I was going to say that this morning, but I'm grateful to him for the way that he did that. And, and you know, I, I, I use that and I think about it when Ryan was like, yeah, you're going to preach on deacons. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? And, um, so, so we're going to dive in. I'm going to show you where we get the word deacon. I'm going to show you where that, that comes from. So it's this right here, Acts chapter 6, um, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their, win- their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What, what that means is there were, there were people that had needs, specifically in this part, and I'm pressing a real quick time out here. Um, I'm sure Ryan has said this, and so I'm going to reiterate this. We have a tendency to read the book of Acts, uh, and we have to make this balance between what is what's called... Um, descriptive or prescriptive. My sister's a pharmacist, so we're, when I saw it, say this to our church, we get like right on the same understanding of prescriptive and descriptive. Okay, Prescriptive would be that there are formulas or, or you know, things that are laid out. If we do this, do that, do this, do that, then it works for us. right? And, and if we're not careful, we'll read the Acts with a very prescriptive lens. Well, this is how the early church did it, so we got to do this, that, this, that. When in reality, it needs to be a very descriptive lens. That this is a description of way, the way God birthed his church. And from that, we see some unbelievable theological principles. And we see some unbelievable theological orderings and even, um, you know, real motivations. But it's not always a formula. And so, you know, to, to say, okay, 
if you guys want to be great disciple makers, you need to take care of all widows, period, the end. I don't know that that's what this is saying. However, taking care of all widows would be a great thing. Okay, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like there's a description and a prescription there. And so there was a complaint because the widows were being ne neglected in the daily distribution, and that specifically is the daily distribution of food. There were people that, whose husbands were no longer there. There were women whose husbands were no longer there in this society. That meant they were really on an island, probably not working, probably not able to, to do a lot for themselves. And... There, were, there was a complaint that came up that said, we're not doing enough to help these people out. So the 12, or the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. So the 12 apostles summoned all people that either had been disciples of Jesus or had also been, um, you know, their, their own disciples they've made, and they said this. It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. These men they set before the apostles, they prayed and they laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, the little description there. And this is where we get deacons. You might say, well, well where do we get deacons? If you go back to verse 2, if we go back to verse 2, it says this in, in Acts 6, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the, of the, full number of, full number of the disciples and said, go on to the next one. It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to, and if you underline anything in your Bible, you can underline this, serve tables. The word there, serve tables, um, is the word diakonos, okay? It's a Greek word diakonos, to serve, and it means, that's where we get the word, you guessed it, deacon. Okay, no, nowhere in there did it talk about being a decision maker. Nowhere in there did it talk about, you know, having like a, a quorum or, or a group to, to make decisions over a church, but it's the ones that serve. Um, the per, one of the perks of sitting by your dad in worship service and him you know, saying like, hey, what are you going to talk about today? Uh, is I got, to, I got to give him a little snapshot. He said, let me give you a little word picture for what it means to be a deacon. Let me give you a word picture for diakonos. It says it means the ones who get their feet dirty. It's the ones who get their feet dirty. And even to expound on that even more, you know, as there, people are walking around the streets of Jerusalem or walking around the streets of, of whatever town they lived in. Uh, they would avoid real dusty areas where the dust would like pool up. Okay, because if you've ever, you know, I remember the, I came down to Atlanta for opening day. Go Braves. I'm a big Braves fan. Always been a Braves fan. Um, when I was growing up in Russell Springs, Kentucky, we had two channels in the summer that played baseball a lot. It was WGN and I don't like the Cubs and it was TBS Superstation and I loved the Atlanta Braves. And so I've been a Braves fan ever since the early 90s. It was a good time to get on the bandwagon. Now would not be as good a time to get on the bandwagon, but it was a good time then to get on the bandwagon. And um, I came down for opening day. I always have this little thing. It's like, if I'm going to take a road trip, I always like my car to be clean. You know, like clean my car up a little bit. Maybe drive through one of those um, car washes where they'll do like the vacuuming stuff for you and all that fun stuff. And I would do that myself. I actually love the detail cars, but I live downtown without a driveway. I park on the street every day. I live in downtown Lexington, so I don't have a driveway or a hose. So I have to trust you know, clean sweep car wash, which is a block up the street to, to do this. I get down here, I'm down here for a day and a half, and my car is just yellow. You know what I'm talking about. 
my allergies are also miserable as well. So my car is yellow with pollen the first week of April, and, and you know, I, my nose is, is running nonstop. But this, I wanted to use that symbolism of they would walk through dusty areas, really dusty, pulled-up areas. It would cake onto their feet. And if it caked onto their feet, what does it require to wash them? More or less water. More water, okay? Water, not as, they didn't have a faucet. You know, it was a, it was a little bit more of, a, of a, a, an effort to get water. And so more water meant more effort, meant more things to do. And so they would avoid, people would naturally avoid dust pools, okay? Kind of like we would avoid mud puddles, right? They would avoid, we would welcome mud puddles right now because it is hot outside, okay? But, but we, they would avoid dust pools. Well, the, the picture of diakonos, the picture of being a deacon, is it's someone that goes right through the middle of the dust pool. They're the ones with the dirtiest feet. They're the ones that, that it, 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 they're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to get their hands dirty. They're willing to put up with a mess as long as it serves somebody else. You know, we have a tendency to, to read this. I mentioned description and prescription earlier. And, and, you know, we have this lens. We can't help it. We have this lens of a very American, 21st century, century individualistic culture. And a lot of times we'll read this and, and we'll get to the point where, where they said, it's not right that we should, the apostle saying, it's not right that we should stop preaching the word of God and do something serve table, like serve tables. We have a tendency to view that as, a, as an order. Like preaching the word of God here, serving here. And that is not what they were implying. This was not a menial task to be somebody that was connected to being a servant or to be somebody that was connected with being someone that was willing to get their, their life dirty. We have a tendency to view that in the same way that we get mad when our boss knows less about the thing that we do than we do, right? I remember I was working at a bank when I was in, in college, my first job. I, I worked at Fifth Third Bank in downtown Lexington. I worked in the mortgage department, and I was the lowest on the totem pole. Absolutely the, the bottom. I was an intern. I was going to be a finance major in the early pot, part of college before God kind of reordered that a little bit. And I remember getting so frustrated when the vice president of the whole bank did not know how to work a fax machine, which even today to say that is a little archaic in 2016. You know, he did not know how to work a fax machine, and yet he was making basically a quarter of a percent on every loan that Fifth Third did. In one month, we did 90 million. You know, it's like, man, that's not a bad paycheck. And you can't work a fax machine. Why don't I get a cut of that? You know, like, we have a tendency to view things like that. We have a tendency to say, well, you know, it's not going to, why don't you do it? Why don't you, why don't you serve? Why don't you, why don't you get, what are you, makes you so good that you're a preacher, you're a teacher, and you're not a servant? We have a tendency to look at that as a slight to us or a shot to us. And that's where I think we have to be careful that when we're viewing this stuff, we're not viewing it through our lens. We're not viewing it through our culture. We're not viewing it through our sense of fair, equitable, 21st century Americana. That when he was talking about this, and actually is indicated a little bit later, it says that when they said this, the people didn't grumble. The gathering didn't grumble that some were going to preach and some were going to serve. What did it say? It says the whole gathering was pleased. This pleased the whole gathering. This was words of encouragement and support to them. It wasn't a word of of giving someone a menial task and giving someone an, an, a huge platform or pedestal. As my dad would say, when it comes to ministry, life's not on the stage. Life's in where you are and where you go. And any pastor that you see, and I would, I would ask you to even hold Ryan accountable to this. Ryan, Ryan's greatest ministry is not always going to be what he 
says on a Sunday morning. His greatest ministry is going to be how, it's not going to be what happens in an hour of a week. It's going to be what happens in the hundred other hours of the week. You know, as, as Tim Keller, a guy that I, I regularly read, said that the greatest gift he could give his congregation is not an unbelievable exposition of the text, but his own personal walk to holiness and obedience. What it means to be someone that walks through a dust pool and is a person that has his feet dirty. And so there's not this differentiation between what it means to be pastor and servant. And so if that's the order we're looking at, it's the wrong order. But there is a right order. There is a small prescriptive part of Acts that does apply to us. And here's, where, here's where we see it. We look at Stephen. What does it say? Stephen was a man full of faith and what? Holy Spirit. Earlier, before then, it talked about that they want to find seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit. That the right ordering here is really indicative of the Holy Spirit's power to move us to be people of, that are willing to get our feet dirty. Move us to be people that are willing to, to walk through the dust pools uh, for one another. And so the right ordering here is understanding that what it really means to be a disciple, what it really means to be a deacon, what it really means to be a follower is that we are motivated by the Holy Spirit. We look at the very end. I'm going to ask you to go to the last, well, here it is, right here. The last slide, it says this. The word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, all right? Now, we all want that. Wouldn't we want that for New City Church? Wouldn't I want that for Commonwealth City Church in, in Lexington? That the word, the, the word of God continue to increase and the number of disciples multiplying greatly in Jerusalem? Yes, I do want that. But again, we have a tendency to look at that. Why, did the, why was there growth? Why was there growth? Is it because of our ability to serve well that we grew? No. Church, no. It's because of the Holy Spirit's ability to send well. That's the reason they grew. Now, one thing we teach our church is that every conversation they're in, I'm going to say this again, every conversation they're in is a, Holy, is, a, is a Holy Spirit conversation. Do you believe that? Every conversation you're in is a Holy Spirit conversation. The question is, are you being obedient to what the Holy Spirit's putting in front of you in all your conversations? Are you being obedient to the opportunities and to the things that are going, because if the, if the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in you, which Scripture says that it is, upon your faith in the Son of God, upon your belief in Jesus Christ as your justifier, your Savior, the one that adopts you, the one that leads you into the family of God, as your, it, because of your faith in Him, because of the gift of faith to you to even believe in Him, every conversation you're in is a spiritual one. It's a Holy Spirit one. So are we people that, that do that well? Are we people that respond to that well? Because what I would offer you all is the understanding that everywhere you go, you're sent. I talked to Jorge just a little bit ago. I've gotten to know some of you guys through Ryan. I've been able to hang out at his house for our missional community. One night, I was, I was able to be part of his ordination, actually. Believe it, I mean, they, they, they let me. They, I, was, I was walked in. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, they're going to let a Baptist pray at PCA ordination. I can't believe this. This is awesome. You know? And so like, let, let me have a part of, of Ryan's ordination service. Uh, which was a, which was an honor and a blessing to do that, um, and and I was actually made a connection while I was down here uh, with Jorge about some mission mission work that we have a common interest in. Uh, I have a really good friend that's a missionary, actually a product of the same church Ryan and I are a product of, that are missionaries in Honduras, 
in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. I'm going to hang out with him in three weeks, uh, actually leaving the day that Jorge gets back from, from, from doing that. And we were talking about, about those, you know, that, that missional concept, that mission work, all this stuff. I'm taking some college students, taking some young adults from our church with us. But I always tell them, like, if you want to go on a mission trip, just get out of bed. You're on one. If you're a believer in Jesus, the moment your feet hit the ground, you're on a mission trip. Anywhere you go, you're on one. And, so, and, and what we have to understand is, is to, if the Holy Spirit of God, who, who as we sang the song earlier, um, that I know the one that goes before me, like, I want you to, I want you to grab hold of that, well, what that really means. That means that before you were even had the ability to understand who God was and what he could do for your life, that he was already sending you to your tomorrow. Knowing that along the way that you would be, you would be aware of who God was, that, that you would have put your faith and trust in him, and so that tomorrow, what is tomorrow, is it 27th? Is that right? June 27th, it's been a, been a long week of wedding and planning and all sorts of stuff. June 27th, Monday, tomorrow, that you are divinely sent to June 27th and to the people in your office and to the people at your workplace and to the people at, probably not in schools right now, but people that you would be at your school or the people that would be in your family, you are divinely sent there. It's not accidental. The relationships you have aren't accidental. They're not coincidental. That if we believe in the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of His Spirit, that everywhere you go as a missionary, someone full of the Holy Spirit, you're 100% sent. 100% you are sent to those people. And so in that vein, every conversation you're in is a spiritual one. It's been one that's been commissioned to you. It's been one that's been, you've been called to, whether or not you even realize it. It's one, and and we're not obedient in all those. I'm not obedient in all those. Ryan's not obedient on those, all those. None of us are. And that's we're thankful for the grace of God who the next day will still call and commission me to the next opportunity. That he doesn't need me, but he desires me to be part of his plan and part of his redemptive work. If we read Ephesians 1, you know that, that it's, that it's the, the, the thing that was predestined before all eternity to lead all things unto him was the church. And we get to be a part of it. We get to embrace it. We get to call each other family. And the grace of God flies over all that. And, and in the midst of my good days and my bad days and my successes and my failures in my in the things that I celebrate and the things that I grieve the grace of God covering all those things still divinely sends me tomorrow even in spite of my today because of who he is and because of what he's done for us and so because we're sent because we're sent the the, the understanding for us is not that we that, that there's these preachers and teachers that that are up here and that everybody else is down here, it's that the Holy Spirit has has somehow made us all on the same level. That what happens in a Sunday morning and what happens maybe with with, uh, someone leading us in worship or someone leading us at at the table or someone leading us in the reading of Scripture is not that they're here. But it's that together we kind of rally along uh, around the truth that we're all equal and we're all divinely sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1, it's not going to be on the screen. I was just reminded of this sitting there as we sang as we sang that song, that God is before all things and in all things and in Him, not some things, not just the good things, not most things, all things hold together. All things. And so you are divinely sent. You're divinely sent to be a person that accomplishes ministry in your midst. Let me show you another place in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. Starting in verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Whose job is the work of ministry? All believers. 
I'm a saint, you're a saint. We're all made saints because of the, because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ makes us saints instead of sinners. And it's our job for the work of ministry. It's not the pastor's job for the work of ministry. It's not your Sunday school or your Bible studies teacher's job for the work of ministry. It's not um, the guy that leads you in counseling's job for the, for the work of ministry. It's all our job for the work of ministry. And what is ministry? To get your feet dirty. To walk through dust pools. To be people that go the extra mile. To be gospel people. We throw that word around, don't we? To be gospel people. Make this, we're we're going to make disciples, of, uh, and we're going to disciple people to be gospel people. What does that even mean? A little triv- trivia right now, a little, little test. We'll see what Ryan's teaching you guys. What's another f- like synonym phrase for the gospel? Good news. So to be good news people. I'm going to end this today with, with a little bit of a story. Um, one of the ministries that has kind of blossomed over the past year in our church, and maybe this can even be an encouragement to you, is a real um, desire to help international students, international exchange students as they're at the University of Kentucky. Um, we have some, some folks that, that are in leadership in a, in a college ministry, in a campus ministry. Um, there's, a, there's a young man, he actually leads worship for us, and he moved back to the United States, moved back to Lexington to be an engineer from Prague, where he was living um, on mission for two years in Prague, Czech Republic, at a church there, and God was calling him back to to Lexington or to America and he's really kind of really struggled with that but he brought with him this just he's just hype for for international students and if you don't I don't know how, how aware you are of this stuff we've probably all seen and I don't all seen this but colleges and universities um, they'll get exchange students just like high schools will except they're not living with families anymore they're just living in dorm rooms and most of the cases that this happens they're they're, they're coming from a place of, of somewhat affluence, somewhat, not, not always, but to be able to afford the trip and to, to afford the, you know, the studying abroad program, just like we go and study abroad, just like people, there might be people in here that have gone and studied abroad from America, somewhere else, and so they come here. Some little known facts, it, depending on which, which statistical um, organization you look at, it's somewhere between 94 and 97% of exchange university students from another country, here in the United States to study, in the high 90%, over 90% or over almost 95% of them never set foot in an American Christian home. Okay, now, now they'll set foot in American churches, and they'll set foot into like American dorm rooms, or they'll set foot into American restaurants, and they'll set foot in those, but they never set foot into an actual American Christian home. Pastor named J.D. Greer, he's in He's in Raleigh, North Carolina, Summit Church there. He actually went to a breakout session of his. He was talking about um, Islamic exchange students. It says, you know, he used the exact same statistic that, that 95% of an Islamic exchange student never sets foot in an American Christian home. So they never get to see what it looks like for, for us to lead our families in the faith. They never get to see that. You know, or their, their ideals of Christianity are... are motivated by what they read or what they assume or what the church sign says or, or whatever, or whatever church they attend. They don't get to see us really, you know, at our, at our, at our home level, or our home base. And so we've got a group in our church that, that is seeking to, to remedy that for, for our university. Now, we can't get all of them, but we try, to, we try to do things to invite people into homes and dinner parties and all sorts of stuff, and it's so great. If you've ever been around an international student, um, especially from from, you know, Southeast Asia. Like, it's a very uh, honoring society, a very honoring culture. Like they'll bring gifts with them. I even heard a story of a guy who gave his testimony about how God 
radically changed his life uh, through the faith, through the faithfulness of a family that invited him in. And he said that when he was a freshman in college, that his mom sent him to the United States with a box full, a tub full of gifts for the homes that he would be invited into. And at the end of his first year of college, when he went back for the summer, he took that whole box home because no one had invited him into their home. Took the whole box with him. And uh, there were two girls named Sharon and Cassie, and they were invited. Uh, they had been coming to our church. We had done meals. We did like an American meal right on. We had grilled ribeyes and barbecue chicken and mashed potatoes and all, you know mac and cheese and green beans and all stuff. And, and we had them over because they had only really had like, you know, dorm life American food, not real. So they came over and we had some real, real American food for them. Um, and then about two weeks later, they invited us over and we had amazing Chinese dumplings. And we had amazing rice and noodles and all this stuff. And they invited us over. And then we finally did um, breakfast for dinner. They had never really had, they'd had pancakes because one of the college ministries does like midnight pancakes. Every, every Thursday and Friday night, they do midnight pancakes. So they'd had their fair share of pancakes. But they'd never had like bacon and eggs and grits and hash browns and all this stuff. We did breakfast for dinner one night. Brought them all over for that. And then as we ended the semester, some of them over the winter break just traveled. They traveled all over the place. There were a group of them that went to Times Square uh, for, for New Year's Eve. They try to go to a lot. The same way that we would be if, we, if you've ever been or know anybody that's been to Europe. You know, they try to hit all the sites and hit all the places. And Facebook fills up with all their, you know, photos and all sorts of stuff. They're doing the same thing here. I mean, they were even asking me, like, can we get to Los Angeles in a day? And I was like, nah, I mean, you can on a plane, but not on a car, you know, and um, all, all sorts of stuff. And so they kind of kept it at East Coast. But there were two girls, uh, Sharon and Cassie, that were here over the holidays and didn't have a place to go. And so on Christmas Eve, our church, um, we're kind of the, the church where it's like if it's a holiday, all our people go somewhere else with their family. Like we're not, nobody's really with us. We're kind of at that stage. And so we didn't have a Christmas Eve service, we instead invited anyone that was going to be in town over the holidays at our church to go back to Hope Community Church in Frankfurt, our sending church, um, to, to participate in their Christmas Eve service. And so Sharon and Cassie came with us. They came, to, they came with me, actually. Um, came to dinner at my parents' house. We were all there. It was a funny little story uh, in, in the midst of this. They were walking around with my sister, and they, you know we have all these, I don't know what your family's like, but we have like all these pictures that are no offense, Mom, just kind of awkward moments from our childhood, you know, and all just over the place. And Sharon was walking around with, with me and Laura. I don't have a picture of my sister. She's beautiful, beautiful girl. And Sharon's walking around looking at everything, and she's looking at pictures of me and Laura, and she was like, he's always been fatter than you. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, though? I'm just taking that as it means rich in their country, you know? Like, so, yeah, it's right on. Been rich my whole life. It's all I know, you know? And... Um, it was just kind of a funny little joke because she didn't see that as offensive at all. And we were kind of like, Laura was like, <gasps> you know, and like, yeah, he's always been a little bigger than I have, you know. And so it's, it's, it was funny. And so we, we had dinner together. We went to Christmas Eve service. They actually ended up being the ones that like walked the aisle. Sharon and Cassie walked the aisle and lit the, the candles. And again, like, you got to think, these are, these are Chinese students. Like they'd never been to church in their life. Actually, one of their friends, we were at Red River Gorge, which is a place that's similar to Stone Mountain place to hike and backpack and all sorts of stuff. And we took a church retreat there. His name was Yanda, and he came up to me, and he came up to me, and he said, have you read the Bible? And I said, yeah. And he said, me too. I've read it four times. And I was like, what? He's an 18-year-old kid. And, and I said, well, what led you to read the Bible? He said, my English teacher in high school was a Christian and led me to faith in Jesus. And I said, well, did you go to church? He's like, yeah, we went to the underground church in China. And I was like, I'm standing in, I'm standing in a, a place called Slade, Kentucky, 
population of 11 with a Chinese underground church member, you know, talking about, talking about how he came to faith in China. But Sharon and Cassie had never been to a church. I got to see my mom sit there and, and share the gospel with them as they were there that night. We're, we're driving home. It's like 1030 at night. I'm taking them back to Lexington. Then I'm going to come back to my parents' house. We're going to do Christmas Eve, open gifts, all that fun stuff. And we're on the way. And I said, you know, Christmas is not just the birth of Jesus. It's the birth of good news. And Sharon just said to me, point blank, well, what's the bad news? And I was like, man, they never teach you this in evangelism classes, that someone's just going to ask you flat out, what's the bad news? And so, you know, I go to, I go to on to explain to her, like, what it means to, to be someone that's, that lives in sin and that our sin is a real offense to God. And I use an analogy I've heard David Platt use before, that if I were to walk up and, if I were to walk up and, and slap Brandon, you know, that might be offensive. I, I, I probably shouldn't slap Brandon. He might hit me back, you know, probably wouldn't invite me back to speak. If I were to slap my father, that would be even like more disrespectful because it's my dad. Like if I were to walk out here and slap one of Atlanta's or Gwinnett County's finest, I might get, you know, like pepper sprayed or like beat with a stick or something like that or, you know, handcuffs and thrown into a car. But if I were to walk up and slap like a, a Saudi Arabian king, I would probably just be killed. My offense didn't change, but the person I offended did. And in the exact same way, our offense doesn't change necessarily one another or to, but, or to God, but the person that we offend does. And so our sin can be very condemning. And our sin, because it's a perfect, righteous, holy God, because it's an offense to Him, it's not only condemning to death, it's deserving of death. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that we have a Savior that came to be, be our sin for us. You know, as the Bible would say, that he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so I go through all this jargon and story and all this stuff, and then right in the middle of like what I think is going to be just the bring it on home moment, Sharon's like, hey, when you drop me off, I've got to let my, my roommate's dog out. Can you help me? Okay? Now, her roommate had a dog named Kong Kong, who was a golden doodle, and Sharon had never, actually it wasn't, her, it wasn't her roommate, it was like the next, they were like a suite kind of apartment, so it was like the next apartment over. Sharon had never had responsibility over a dog, and she had left, the last time she had left, this is like 11 o'clock at night, she had left Kong Kong out at 9 in the morning from his kennel, and he had been in there ever since, and he was a one-year-old dog. Okay, so now, I don't know where you are on that, what that does for you, but you can imagine the crate, right? I walked in. You could actually smell the crate from the door outside as you walked in. And so we opened the door, and it is just, it is a sight to feast your eyes on. I mean, there is all sorts of body fluids, you know, just all over the crate. And, and this dog, he's one of those beautiful, let me tell you something. Those golden doodles, they are beautiful, adorable dogs, but not when they're covered in feces, okay? Like, really not as pretty. Curls, not something you want to run your fingers through. And so there's this dog, and he is like so hyped up and anxious to get out, and he is completely covered and matted up and, and just number one and number two, just all sorts of stuff all over him. And she is like super, ah, I can't believe what happened, you know. And so she opens the kennel, and he just runs around the house, and like it's flinging up all over the place. Looks like he's got mud on his tires, you know, like just all over the place. And I'm sitting there, and like there is just shards of, of, Stuff flying all over the place and walls and carpet. And I'm sitting there and I'm in like a nice Christmas outfit, like one of those little vests, all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. And so I just pick this dog up 
And I go and I throw him in a bathtub. And I am sitting on my, I'm on my hands and knees in a Chinese girl, same student, her name is Ruth. I didn't think I would, on Christmas Eve, I'd find myself on my knees in a bathroom of a, of a Chinese student I've never met in my life before washing her golden doodle, okay? Like, I'm just using whatever, suave shampoo, I'm just using it, you know, like washing this dog. I don't have any animal shampoo, just washing this dog. And, and, and it, it was covered, it was nasty. I was in there for probably 30 minutes. And, and, you know, like I'm coming back and Sharon has been cleaning the walls and the stuff and I smell terrible. I am soaked. I've got a lot of need to wash my clothes and my body. And I walk out and she's like, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I just looked at her and I said, Sharon, do you want a better example of good news and bad news of what it means to be a believer in Jesus? We were Kong Kong. We were trapped in our sin and in our shame and we loved it and we rolled around in it and we were held captive by it. And we have a God that loved us so much that He walked through the deepest, dirtiest, nastiest places. And He did way more than bear hug us and wash us in a tub. He washed us eternally through His blood and through His death and resurrection. And I don't know, I don't think Sharon like prayed to receive Christ that night. She didn't like have this huge moment. Of, there's not a bow on this story necessarily. But I do know that she said, I, I want to be, believe in a Jesus like that. I want to believe in a God like that. I told, I told somebody later, I said, I've probably been guilty of baptizing people that believe less in Jesus than Sharon does. But she's not fully ready in her way to walk in that yet. And I still pray. She's back in China now. I still pray that, that God used that as a seed and He bring to fruition that is, that is a blossoming of the Word of God in her life. Now here's my bring home point. Now, I, I, I use this this big idea that a disciple of Jesus always includes being a servant of Jesus. And here's kind of, my, here's kind of my, my bring home here. Sharon didn't care that I was a pastor. She didn't know me as a pastor. She didn't know me as a preacher. She didn't know me as somebody that sits in an office and talks to your pastor about sermon series, things to pray about, and all this stuff. She didn't know that I'm carrying a church credit card. She had no idea that I'm doing that stuff. She doesn't know that I've got all these books by some awesome dead people and some awesome alive people that I sometimes get really proud of on my bookshelf. She didn't know that I read DesiringGod.org every day. You know what she knew? That I was willing to get dirty to serve her. And in the exact same way, if you're going to be a person that's sent by God, then you're sent to the deepest, dirtiest, darkest places. But here's the cool part. You are divinely equipped to handle it. And you're divinely equipped to handle it, not because of what you've done or not because of what you're capable of doing, but because of what the Holy Spirit of God has done in the life of Jesus Christ, in His life, death, and resurrection, and conversely, in the, fulfill, in the fulfillment of filling you and you being indwelled with that very, that very embodiment of Christ. He's going to remind you of the works of Jesus, and He's going to propel you to, to the works of the kingdom in your life. And so it, it's not the pastor or the preacher or the teacher that is the work of ministry. It's you, the saint, that's sent to your workplace tomorrow, to your family, to your home, to the relationships that you have. It's not coincidence that you have them. You've been divinely sent there. As you go, are you going to be diakonos? Someone who gets their feet dirty. Someone who gets their hands dirty. Someone who gets their life dirty. So that others might know that we serve a God who gave His life for us, who took all the dirt He could for us, and who gave us the life we could never have apart from Him. It's my hope and prayer for you, New City, that you are all deacons, and you are all people who get your life, your hands, and your feet dirty, and be the people 
of God sent to the world and, and sent to, to, to proclaim and to announce the coming of the kingdom in your life and in this life that we live. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you for this opportunity to be here and to your, just to read your word and to, to respond to your word today at this time of response, both in worship and in communion. God, I just pray that, that you lead us to be people um, that, that participate in the life that you have for us and to participate in, in the life of service and the life of, of sentedness that you've given us. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.